few years ago, my family and I were over in Maui, Hawaii. Uh, I teach over there every year for Youth with a Mission, a uh, Christian mission organization. And uh, one afternoon when I wasn't teaching, my family and I had a chance to go hang out at the beach. And uh, my wife and I, we were strolling along the beach, and we kind of just stopped right on the edge of the shoreline there. And my kids were out playing in the waves. And so we're just standing there in the waves. And you know how when you're standing on the shoreline in the waves, if you've ever been to the ocean, as the waves are lapping at your feet, like your feet gradually start sinking into the sand. You know what I'm talking about? And it's kind of like this fun, cool sensation as you're, as you're, you know, the waves are coming. And pretty soon you realize, oh, I'm like three, four feet, inches buried in the sand here. Well, we're standing there uh, on the beach as the waves are rolling, and uh, I go walking away, and my wife st uh, stays where she was, and she's watching our kids, and all of a sudden, a, a rogue wave, I mean like a four or five foot high wave, came out of nowhere and slammed into my wife, and she's standing sideways with her feet planted in the sand, you know, three, four inches down, and this wave knocks her over. And, you know, she just gets up, kind of starts laughing about it, you know, I mean, covered, you know, covered in sand and water, and we're all laughing at her, you know, just thought it was super funny. Well, she gets up, and she starts walking with this limp. And I'm thinking, oh, that's not good. Like, you know, did you twist your knee? Are you all right? And, and uh, she's like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. I mean, the last thing you want when you're in Maui is to be injured, right? So she's like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And so we start walking down the beach. And the more we walk, the more I realize, like, this limp is getting more and more noticeable. So, so we made our way back to where we were staying, and over the course of the day, you know, she's, you know, trying to just shake it off, and, you know, doesn't want to ruin the vacation for everybody, doesn't want to ruin the trip for everybody. And uh, as the day goes on, though, I could see her knee is swelling up, and I'm thinking, like, okay, this, this something's not right here. Well, I had to go teach, so I went and I did my evening teaching session. I came back around 8, 9 p.m., and Kim is in major pain. But again, she's like, no, I'll be okay. Let me just sleep it off tonight. And I'm like, no, we, we need to go. We need to go get this checked out. So we ended up literally, I'm not kidding you, we ended up driving all around the island of Maui that night trying to find a clinic that was open that could do an x-ray. We finally ended up in the, uh, in the uh, Kahului Hospital in downtown Kahului, Hawaii. We got there around midnight. Let me just say, that is the last hospital you want to go to at midnight. I mean, it was just full of like all kinds of craziness. Uh, homeless people and drug addicts and gunshot victims. I mean, it was like a scene out of, you know, CSI or something. And uh, anyway, we finally get in there and get my wife's knee x-rayed, and lo and behold, she fractured her knee. She had a fracture in her knee. And it was only because of the x-ray that we were really able to see and diagnose what exactly was going on. Now, I share this story with us this morning because just like that x-ray that revealed the fracture, the problem that was present in my wife's knee as a result of that injury. Just like that x-ray revealed that fracture, this is the same way that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount functions in our lives. The Sermon on the Mount is like God's spiritual x-ray on our heart, revealing to us exactly where we stand in relation to the kingdom of God. And so when we look at this Sermon on the Mount together, what we're going to discover today and in the coming weeks is God is going to penetrate into our hearts through his word and reveal what exactly is happening within us. 
And you know, just like my wife's knee, I think the reality is if we're all being honest with ourselves, we know something's not quite right in our lives and with our human condition, with our society. We, we know something's not quite right, but, but just like my wife, we kind of try to shake it off and play it off and just keep, I'm going to walk it off and just keep moving on. But God's word, like that x-ray, gets to the heart, revealing what our greatest needs truly are and just what it is that plagues us in our human condition. Pastor Kent Hughes, he says this, he says, no other section of scripture makes us face ourselves like the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to begin to see this more and more over the coming weeks. Today, as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5. We are going to be in the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in that section which I described last week is, is called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. The word Beatitude comes from the Latin word Beatus, which means blessing. And if you notice in the Beatitudes, all of these words start with the word blessed or blessing. And so this is where the title Beatitudes comes from. These are the Beatitudes of Jesus. Or as some scholars have described them, the blessed attitudes, the beautiful attitudes of the kingdom, or the Beatitudes. In other words, what we're going to see here in these Beatitudes, these are the attitudes that believers are called to be. All right? These Beatitudes reveal to us the essential character of all true Jesus people. If you're a follower of Jesus, your life will be characterized by these Beatitudes. Now, it's important that we understand right at the outset of our study on these Beatitudes that these attitudes that we're going to look at don't come naturally. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. These things don't come naturally, and you can't manufacture these things. They are wholly the result of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so one of the things I want to challenge us in this, this series is as we come to church on Sunday morning, as we come into worship, I, I, I want to encourage you to come with a posture of prayer, a posture of humility and submission and say, Lord, how do you want to speak to me today? What do you want to teach me today? Because the only way you're going to get anything out of this study is if the Holy Spirit is at work on your heart, moving within you to transform you more and more into the kind of person that Jesus wants us to be. In fact, this Holy Spirit transformation is what God promised his people even before Jesus. The prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26 reveals from the Lord, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Friends, that's our only hope if we're going to be true Jesus people. It's that the Holy Spirit would be working on our hearts. And so that's my prayer for us, not only this morning, but over the coming weeks as we continue this study in the Beatitudes. Now today we're going to look at the first two of these Beatitudes. And here in the first two Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 4, we find the initial ground of the kingdom of heaven in our lives. 
Okay, when God begins to do his work on our hearts and we become kingdom people or Jesus people, the first two attitudes we're going to discover are what are found here in verses 1 through 4. Let's read this together. I'm going to read it. You can follow along. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. Now right away here in these first few verses of the Beatitudes, we see the reality of this upside-down kingdom of God that I told you was going to be a major theme throughout our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, we talked about that last week. The Beatitudes are part of this upside-down kingdom of God that we find here in this Sermon on the Mount. And and, and upside-down by the world's standards, right? Not by God's standards. The kingdom values and kingdom instruction and teaching, these are truly right side up but according to our world we see these things upside down because we live in a world today where riches and happiness are often seen as the measure of a person's blessing am i right right i mean what does our media celebrate what what do we see our culture celebrating right if somebody's rich they're blessed if somebody's life circumstances are bringing happiness they're blessed But here, Jesus says it is the poor in spirit and those who mourn who are truly blessed. Now, you might be thinking, that doesn't sound right. I mean, like, how can that be, right? Poor, poor in spirit, mourning, how is that uh, the avenue to blessing? But Jesus tells us that this is the basis for blessing in the kingdom of heaven. How, how are we to understand this? Well, it begins by understanding this, this word blessed that we're going to see throughout the Beatitudes. The word blessed or blessed in our English language comes from the Greek word makarios. And in the Greek, the word blessed means to be happy. But it's not a worldly kind of happiness, right? Remember, worldly happiness is based on our circumstances, The the blessedness that Jesus is speaking of here in the Beatitudes is a happiness that is the result of being the recipient of divine favor. It's the result of having an awareness of God's approval on your life. It's the reality of knowing that God is smiling upon you. Or or as I shared last week, I love Max Lucado, one of his classic old books, The Applause of Heaven. The applause of heaven is with you. Because God's favor has fallen upon you. That's the kind of blessedness that Jesus is talking about here. And it's a very different kind of blessing from the world's understanding of blessing rooted in temporary, transient circumstances, right? If things are going right for me, I'm happy. If they don't go right, I'm not happy. That's worldly happiness. It it, it reminded me this week, I was thinking about this, when my brother was a senior in high school. Okay, I was a senior in college at the time. My brother was a senior in high school. He got 
an incredible, I still to this day can't believe it. The guy got a brand new red Ford Probe. Now, you don't see these around anymore, but these cars were awesome. I mean, just stylish, race car looking car. It was a stick shift. I mean, he just thought he was the coolest dude in the world driving this, you know, fire engine red Ford Probe with the spoiler on the back and the cool rims. I mean, like he would, he would just make fun of me all the time because I'm a college student at the time and, and I was driving what my brother affectionately called the missionary car, okay? It, it was an old Honda Accord, an old beat-up Honda Accord. Now, you, you, why did he call it the missionary car? Because he, he said, well, this is like the car that people loan the missionaries when they're in town, you know, when they come home from, from their overseas visits, right? That alone is kind of a little bit of an indictment on us, church, right? Like we give them the missionary car. But, but it, you know, my brother used to call my car the missionary car. He was driving this awesome sports car. And he was happy, right? Because circumstances were good. And he was the man. And all the girls in the school wanted to ride in my brother's car. But a year later, he was driving home from the Mall of America. And he's pulling out of the parking lot there, the parking ramp. Somebody ran a red light and T-boned my brother's awesome brand new red Ford Probe sports car. And it was totaled. And guess what? My brother wasn't all that happy anymore. His happiness was based on worldly circumstances, worldly riches, worldly possessions. And guess what? Today, both my brother and I are driving missionary cars. <laughs> but I'll tell you something, we're still blessed. We're still blessed. It's like my dad used to always say, we don't have much money, but we live like kings. Why? It's because we've experienced a blessing that's rooted in something greater than our material circumstances, our material prosperity, a blessing that's rooted in the kingdom of heaven. This morning I want to talk about this kingdom blessing. This kingdom blessing that we see spoken of here in verses 1 through 4 in the beginning of the Beatitudes, it's rooted in three things. Number one, it's rooted in the poor man's surrender. The poor man's surrender. When I, was a, when I was a kid back in the mid-80s, my family lived in the Philippines for a, for a season. My mom and dad were serving as missionaries there. And uh, one of the places that the mission group that my family would work with was an area in Manila, the capital of the Philippines, an area known as Smoky Mountain. Smoky Mountain is the garbage dump of Manila. It's this massive plot of land with tons and tons of garbage piled up, and they call it Smoky Mountain because it is so deep with garbage that is perpetually smoking because of the spontaneous combustion. Now, what were we doing ministering in Smoky Mountain? Well, we would minister there because there is a community of over 25,000 people that live in the garbage dump impoverished people who have nowhere else to go. And so they built these shanty towns made out of cardboard and scrap metal and tin roofs. And, and they live there in the dumps. They have children in the dumps. They die in the dumps. Some people spend their entire life there in Smoky Mountain trying to eke out an existence, finding food in the garbage, finding things they can recycle and reuse and resell from the garbage. Over 25,000 people that live there in Smoky Mountain. And we look at those people and we say, those people are clearly poor. And they are. But there's an even deeper kind of poverty right outside the entrance to Smoky Mountain. 
Because as poor as the people in the dump are, there's another group of people that are absolutely destitute. These are people with physical disabilities and infirmities and diseases that that don't have the means to rummage through the garbage to provide sustenance for themselves. And so every day, their family members and their friends will cart them outside to the entrance of Smoky Mountain where they will sit on the side of the road of the busy streets of Manila begging, begging for somebody to give them some money or give them some food because they have no means of taking care of themselves. And it is this second kind of poor that Jesus is talking about here in this first beatitude. The word poor that Jesus uses here for poor in spirit is the Greek word tokos, and it refers to somebody who is inferior in society. It refers to somebody who is absolutely destitute or somebody who is dependent upon begging just to survive. This is the poverty that Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the person who recognizes that they have absolutely nothing, nothing of worth to offer a perfect, holy creator God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his classic commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, it is just this tremendous awareness of our utter nothingness as we come face to face with a holy God. We are inferior, we are destitute, we are beggarly. What on earth are we going to offer such an incredible God? One Bible translation of this first beatitude says this, Blessed are those who realize that they have nothing within themselves to commend them to God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now it's important to understand this morning, friends, that there are all kinds of spiritual poverty. There's a variety of types of spiritual poverty, but there's only one form of spiritual poverty that leads to salvation. You can be spiritually poor, and the reality is you can completely miss out on the kingdom of heaven. The Bible talks about a number of kinds of spiritual poverty that don't save. There's three that I want to highlight this morning. The first of the kinds of spiritual poverty that don't save anyone is what I call the plentiful poor. These are people who are poor, spiritually poor, but they don't know it. They actually think they're rich in the eyes of God. These are like people like the Apostle Paul before his conversion, before he humbled himself before Jesus, when Paul was a zealous Jewish Pharisee. Paul describes his, his reality before his conversion to Christianity, what he was basing his worth on, his standing on. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul used to base all of his value in the eyes of God upon the spiritual things he had done. But when Paul was broken before Jesus and recognized his spiritual poverty, in the very next breath, Paul goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am. 
Paul goes on to say, all of this I now count as loss. Because he came to recognize that the reality was, in spite of all of his good works and all of his religious deeds, he was spiritually poor. It reminds me of Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says to this church, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Here was this church that thought they had it all together, that they were honoring the Lord, that they were doing all of these good works. But Jesus says, you are spiritually poor and you don't even realize it. So many people in our world today pursue these types of religious activities, seeking to please God, thinking if, maybe if I just go to enough church services, maybe if I just do enough good deeds, maybe if I just pray hard enough or read my Bible enough or sing enough songs on Sunday morning, maybe then God will be pleased with me. And God describes that person as pitiable. They are spiritually poor, but it's not a spiritual poverty that leads to salvation. There's another kind of spiritual poverty that doesn't save that we find in the Bible. I call this the passive poor. These are people who are spiritually poor, but they're content in their spiritual poverty. They think everything's okay. This is like the church in Sardis that Jesus wrote to in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who, is, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. This was a church that was living off its reputation. They had done in the past many great works for the Lord. But they were resting on their laurels now. They, they found themselves in the place where they thought, hey, we're all good. We, we've made it. We've arrived. God's honored us. Look at we got this great building. we got all these great programs. What more does God want? They were spiritually poor and content in it. And there's a lot of churches just like that in our world today. They think that because they've got big buildings and great programs that, that they're rich, that they're blessed. But they're poor. One of my favorite coffee shops that I visit when my wife and I are on vacation in Door County, it's a coffee shop in Ellison Bay. It's an awesome coffee shop. It's inside an old Lutheran church. The coffee shop is in the middle of a sanctuary, this beautiful sanctuary with these Arched, arched roofs and massive stained glass windows on the sides and just this gorgeous sanctuary. And today it's a coffee shop that sells New Age books in the corner. What happened to that church? That church thought that they had made it, thought that they had arrived, thought that everything was great. But they were poor and they didn't even realize it. I don't know the whole history behind that church, but I guarantee you two things. They stopped preaching the word of God and they stopped sharing the gospel. Because when those two things happen, a church dies. And it doesn't matter how cool of a building you have. It doesn't matter how full your cemetery is and all the landscaping and gardening you've got around you. 
Jesus says, you're spiritually poor and you don't even realize it. And you can go around our world today and find all kinds of churches in this same state. You go to Europe today, you walk through the streets of London, England, you'll see colossal cathedrals that were once packed on Sunday morning full of worshipers that are today serving as nightclubs and bars or have been taken over by Muslims and become mosques. People who were spiritually poor and content in their poverty. There's another kind of spiritual poverty that doesn't save. This is the prideful poor. These are people who are spiritually poor and think they can fix it, think they can do something about it. This is the person like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your, and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to Jesus, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? What more do I need to do? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. This man was spiritually poor, but he thought there was something he could do about it. Jesus, what more do I need to do to be saved? See, this young man wanted the kingdom of heaven, but he wanted it on his terms. He wanted to control his destiny. And he wasn't willing to submit everything he had to Jesus and acknowledge his total dependence on him. How many people in our world are just like this rich young ruler? God, I, I'm willing to do anything. Give me the right program. Give me the right to-do list. Give me the right tasks. But Jesus, don't ask me to surrender my heart to you. Don't ask me to put you on the throne of my heart. Don't ask me to give up what is most precious to you, Jesus. And they're spiritually poor as a result. You know, you look at this list of these three things, the prideful poor, the passive poor, the plentiful poor. One of the things you quickly discover here is these aren't be-attitudes, these are me-attitudes. People who are spiritually poor and thus will miss out on the kingdom of heaven. But there's a spiritual poverty that does save. The spiritual poverty that does save is, is what Jesus talked about, what I described earlier, the pitiful poor, those who are poor and desperately so. These are the, the Greek word, the tokos poor, the inferior, the destitute, the beggarly. These are the people like Israel in Exodus 20, 18 and 19, where they stood before the holy God of Israel who descended upon Mount Sinai in all of his awesome, fearsome holiness. And after God speaks to Israel, Israel says to Moses, Moses, you speak to us don't don't let us hear from the lord anymore because if he continues to speak to us we're gonna die because they were so terrified by the awesome holiness of god standing in his presence the spiritually poor are the people like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 5. Isaiah is given this vision of the throne room of heaven and he sees God in all of his awesomeness and all of his splendor and all of his glory. And Isaiah says, woe is me, 
for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The spiritually poor are like the the story Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Kingdom blessing is rooted in number two, the poor man's sorrow. After we recognize our poverty of spirit, Jesus then goes on and he says in verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What kind of mourning is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the one who mourns over the reality of their sin the one who recognizes their spiritual poverty, and that recognition overflows into mourning. You know, our world doesn't like to hear about the realities of sin and mourning. I was reading a study this week from Arizona Christian University, a a joint study between them and the Barna Group, and they revealed today the most popular religion in America today, the most popular worldview. You want to know what it is? It's not atheism, it's not Christianity, it's not nihilism, it's not postmodernism, it's not New Age mysticism. The number one most prominent worldview, religious worldview in America today, held by nearly 40% of the population, is a spiritual worldview called moralistic therapeutic deism. And people who hold to this worldview believe that God wants them to be happy, that God wants them to be good, kind, moral people, that God doesn't judge anybody, that there's no such thing as sin, there's no such thing as ultimate judgment. Ultimately, all roads lead to God, and God just wants you to be happy and kind of a a good, kind neighbor. Moralistic, therapeutic deism the most popular worldview in our culture today. Friends, we have embraced a diminished view of sin and its consequences in our lives. And we do so to our detriment. When we look at who God is and his awesome holiness, when we look at who we are in our poverty of spirit. The only appropriate response is what Paul says in Romans 7, 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? What is Paul doing here? Paul is mourning. The word mourn in the Greek is penthos. It it means to externally express what is happening internally in your heart. It's like the sinful woman that Jesus met at the party in Luke chapter 7. 
group of Pharisees invited Jesus to a party. They're reclining at the dinner table. In those days, they would eat lying down sideways, and so Jesus' feet would have been out behind him as he reclined on the table while they were eating. And a sinful woman from the village heard that Jesus was there. She had obviously heard his message before, maybe even heard the Sermon on the Mount, maybe even heard the message of those who are poor in spirit and those who mourn. And this sinful woman bursts into the party, and as she comes and sees Jesus, the holy God in flesh, in person, she can't help but overflow with tears as a result of her recognition of her own spiritual poverty and she starts weeping tears on the feet of Jesus and she's so ashamed of her sin that as she cries and as she realizes what she's doing making a mess of Jesus's feet she gets down on her knees and she undoes her hair an act of complete indignity in that culture and she literally uses her hair to wipe the tears off of Jesus's feet And then she anoints his feet with oil, with perfume, because she was broken and poor and mourning the reality of her sin. (laughs) Martin Lloyd-Jones says, if we truly mourn, we shall rejoice. We shall be made happy. We shall be comforted. For it is when a man sees himself in this unutterable hopelessness that the Holy Spirit reveals unto him the Lord Jesus Christ as his perfect satisfaction. Through the Spirit, he sees that Christ has died for his sins and is standing as his advocate in the presence of God. He sees him, the perfect provision that God has made, and immediately he is comforted. That is the astounding thing about the Christian life. Your great sorrow leads to joy, and without the sorrow, there is no joy. And here is where we see the poor man's salvation. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Kingdom and comfort is what Jesus offers. And so this morning, I want to challenge each of you here today. Where do you stand as this word penetrates your heart, as the spiritual x-ray of the Sermon on the Mount penetrates your heart, and Jesus says, no one enters the kingdom of heaven unless they're poor in spirit. And no one will experience the comfort, the blessing of God, unless they mourn over their sin. But today, Jesus says, all who call on me shall be saved. And so, friends, as you examine your own heart this morning, I pray that if the Holy Spirit is convicting you today, that you, just like that sinful woman, might humble yourself before Jesus and kneel at his feet in a beggarly, mournful spirit and say, Jesus, you are my only hope. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your amazing grace as we recognize our absolute and utter dependence upon you in light of our sin, in light of our rebellion, in light of our brokenness, Lord, we know there is nothing in us by which we can save ourselves. And so, Lord, we just come before you and like the tax collector, we beat our breasts and like the woman who knelt at your feet shedding tears, Lord, we come before you and acknowledge our absolute unworthiness.
and our total dependence. And we thank you that you are a God of amazing grace who welcomes broken, beggarly, mournful sinners. And that's why you went to the cross out of your great love and your amazing grace to make a way for us to be saved. Jesus, if there's anybody here this morning who's never embraced that amazing grace, I pray that even right now they might just humble their hearts before you and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I know I am poor and I am begging today and I have a spirit of mourning today. And Jesus, I know that you are my only hope. And Jesus, just like you promised, you can take their heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. We thank you for these incredible promises that we find in your good news, your gospel. Do your work on our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing this together in response to the Lord. Oh, God. 
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want to leave you with these words from Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, friends, and have a great week. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.